And welcome to the Braincast. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. I am your host, Chris. I am host, Johnny. And here today, we are going to be giving off our opinion on... Jonathan? That would be player interaction. Player interaction, indeed. That is what we are going to be discussing today on the Braincast. Yeah, so just to kind of go over a little bit about what we got going on uh, in terms of today's episode. We're going to look at something that you might not really think about too much whenever you're designing a game. And it can be something that's just kind of in the background. You know it's there, but you don't really, you can't really like put your finger on it. Um, and that is how players interact with each other, whether it be by design or whether it be just because that's how the game is. We're kind of going to be going over what you want your players to feel throughout the game. Right. And the player interaction that we're going to be discussing is both on the level of how they're interacting within the game based on whether the mechanics or how it's designed or anything like that, but also kind of what the players are feeling, what, what we want them to feel when games are designed. Do we want them to feel tense because the game is that type of murder mystery? We Do we want them to feel, you know, happy or sad because, you know, they're running from monsters or getting killed all the time? You that know, makes you feel happy? <laughs> I said, or sad. <laughs> okay. Or sad. I was like, to each their own, I to guess, each, you know. You know, maybe you got a person <laughs> on your team that you're not happy about. You're like, uh, goodbye, Gerald. <laughs> And see, that's the type of player interaction you got to consider. You got to exactly. you got to go. Do I want to kill Gerald or have him, you know, disappear? Quotation marks. The answer is yes. The answer is always yes. Poor yeah. Gerald. Poor Gerald. Poor Gerald. Uh, so yeah, there's going to be basically three types of player interaction that we're kind of kind of go over today. Um, one is going to be non-mechanic player interaction. Uh, the second one's going to be mechanic-driven player interaction. And then the other one's going to be non- or passive player interaction. Just for, for starting it out, let's kind of go over what player interaction really means to gamers, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the most part, I would say player interaction, uh, to me, player uh, interaction is really about what I can do on my turn that influences other players, whether it be their decisions uh, to do an action, whether it be to come up with a plan in order to overcome something, you know, how much do I want my input to influence other players gaming experience? Now, there are times when you can say you can like make a game and stuff like that and you can force that player interaction, you know, usually things that involve like strategy or social deduction, things like that. Um, there's times when, uh, mechanics force player interaction, worker placement, you know, taking the places that I wanted to do, forcing me to do something else. And then there's times when it's like basically four different solo games where it's just like, doesn't matter what I do has no effect on what you do. So it's, it really is, uh, and that's the three things that we're going to be covering to get today. And, you know, it's something that I feel like game designers, the good game designers do think about it because they, that's how they incorporate, you know, players having that really awesome experience. And there are other times when you get a game and you're like, well, I played it. I played the game, you know, that's. That's about check, it. Check the box. Yep. Check the box. Play the game. You know, that's interesting that when you think player interaction, that's kind of the the concept that you look at. To me, player interaction is almost something about how your players are feeling as they're playing the game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you might have a really good, you know, uh, I guess. Experience? Well, I was going to say experience, but when you're playing a really difficult game, you mm-hmm. know, how are the players interacting with each other? Mm-hmm. Have you made it so that they all kind of feel like they're on the same team if it's a co-op and and they're all stressed out, you know, or it's about the experience that they have with the game. And so that to me, I think it's interesting that when you think player interaction, you're you're trying to figure out is the strategy that they're coming up with influencing somebody else are they able to decide on actions that may or may not impact others 
were for me, when you say planner, player interaction and how designers are thinking about that, it's about how they've designed the game so that the players feel something that their interaction with the game is actually even better than, you know, a, a, any type of other game. So I think it's interesting that there's almost two different ways to look at that's that I won't say simple concept, but along that concept. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, at the top of the show, I was just like, I don't really want to define it because it can be different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually have a tendency to look at it more like nuts and bolts style. Yeah, I can, I can, I can, I can see where you're coming from with, you know, wanting to have players fully experience a game and really kind of, and that's, I think feels, it feels to me like, that's why you have people always saying, you know, you really have to be passionate about what you're designing because, you know, the more you put into it, like the more you invest yourself into it, I feel like the more that player interaction that you're talking about really comes through because it's like, you know, you really want them to do certain things and stuff like that. And it really makes you focus on giving the players that kind of experience that you want them to feel because that's how you feel Mm -hmm. about, you know, that particular subject matter. Yeah. No, I I completely agree. And I'm interested to look at the, I guess, mechanical side of it and how that drives player interaction. Another thing when talking about player interaction, you know, sometimes there can be such a thing as too much player interaction, uh, at least in my estimation. Say it isn't so. Oh, too, much? Know, too much, too much. Yeah. No. Some people are like there is no such thing, and usually those are the people that put too much in their put, game. put too much into their game. So, uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, uh, each person games in their own unique way. So, True. it must be hard to kind of try and design a game that has just enough player interaction for the bulk of people that would be playing it, and as opposed to some, you know, when you look at the bell curve of people that enjoy player interaction, you're trying to hit that beautiful middle part, but you still have those fringes on the sides that you kind of, I don't know if you take that into consideration or not, but maybe That's right. I guess most people don't. We all want to hit that big bulge. The big bulge. The big bulge. Would you say it's a bell bulge? Bell curve. It is a bell curve, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I don't know what a bell bulge is, but it's a bell curve. All right. You learn something new every day. I mean, you may have learned that in math at some point. I may have learned it a little while ago, yes. Just a uh, little bit. You know, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Let's go ahead and start by talking about mechanics-driven player interaction. Okay. For me, you have mechanic-driven player interaction. Now, this is usually something that uh, where players are actively shaping outcomes through direct interaction. Usually, like I said, this takes place in uh, co-op games war games, racing games. So things that I do influence others that isn't, you know, like passive, like, you know, worker placement. Oh, you took my spot. You know, it's not really like mechanic driven player interaction. Mechanic driven player interaction to me is more like a war game where it's like, I am invading your territories. So you've created that interaction because you've moved into another player's country spot whatever it is correct they have to form a strategy now based on something that i'm actively doing on their board essentially or you could actively do so like risk for example in terms of a war game you have to put your armies along a whole border to make sure that you know you keep them strong and you don't find a weak spot correct so another thing would be like you know uh mission red planet Mm -hmm. uh deep blue so deep blues you know a push your luck kind of a game but as players, what we can do is we can kind of uh, leech on to other players making a dive and stuff like that. We don't control the dive, but, you know, we can still participate. Mm-hmm. So something that an opponent is doing, I can actively, you know, help shape what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, obviously, it might not work all the time with that particular instance because, you know, if I don't have the right cards, then I'm just going to, you know sink or something and red planet in deep blue are almost i would say kind of similar in the sense of that type of interaction you have the ability to move your 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 individual tokens or player pieces whatever you want to do 
But then both uh, in both games, you have the opponents or teams or I guess however you want to describe it that that can jump onto your ship or your sub as you go diving or something like that. So it's a very different player interaction than what you might see in Risk or other war games where you're you're trying to kind of almost develop a strategy to to prevent that type of invasion. So that's something that you think about because it's it's like player interaction because it's push your luck, but you can both push your luck almost uh, in terms of, you know, if I play this card, can I have enough space on this rocket ship to, you know, fully crew it and then take off? Or am I going to get screwed because someone else is playing a card that goes before me and, you know, I'm not able to do anything with it. There's a couple cards in, you know, Mission Red Planet where it's just like, they're good cards, but they're also some of the last ones to go. So it can be kind of uh, tricky. Um, another kind of instance of uh, mechanic-driven uh, player interaction would be something like Jamaica, where it's like a racing game where players are interacting with each other. You know, you can fight each other uh, as pirates and stuff like that. Jamaica's a little bit more restrictive, uh, in terms of you don't really have a choice. Uh, the only choices you really have are like what direction you want to go and stuff like that. Well, forward, backward, take gold, take food. That's about yeah. it, really. Yeah, Attack. it's 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 not it's some of these are not like too 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 complicated, but they do have player interaction. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know, if I'm on my boat and you're on your boat and we never actually interact with each other, doesn't make for a very fun racing game. So, but. Going back to what your theory is in terms of player interaction, how do you think that player, the person designing a game like Jamaica, would have viewed player interaction? Like, do you think they thought about, well, this kind of forces them to to interact with each other as opposed to it just being like a solitaire racing game? Well, I think it's... It depends on a couple of different things because if you're trying to avoid the solid racing game, then it's not really super competitive. You don't want it to be because when you think racing, I think NASCAR type thing. You know, everybody gets in their car, everybody's racing, nobody's really interacting a whole lot because the whole point is to be first. Mm-hmm. So I think when they were designing the game, they said, well, that is an aspect of it. We want to see who can be first. And the point is to kind of is, is to be first. But this was also about trying to create that interaction among other players so that it wasn't all about winning. It was about being able to stop other players. It was about trying to take their food, take their stuff. So it was creating, I think, more of a fun ambience for the game as opposed to just a straight up racing or in war games you know the whole point is to win so it's it's a very different type of player interaction than when you play something like jamaica or deep blue so those could have like a little bit of tension with the player interaction but not to the point where it's almost it negatively impacts your experience because, like you said, these are designed to be more like lighthearted games. Yeah. So it's about fun. Yeah, it's about it's more about fun than anything else. Yeah. So the person that might have been designing it would look at this particular game and be like, "Well, I want the players to interact in some way, but if they have the option to where they don't want to, then it kind of defeats the purpose of having that tension." that like that little bit of tension. So if you force them to fight whenever they land on the same space and let's face it, you can, there's only so many spaces, you know, you can avoid landing with people, especially when you're playing cards that, you know, might do the same thing. It creates a little bit of tension because now they are forced to fight each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if you're like, non-confrontational and stuff like that. I mean, you could still end up, you know, winning the conflict. Even if you're fired upon, you could still win. Yes. And in some cases that happens quite a bit. (laughs) 
depends on how good a roller you are or how bad a roller you are. Mm-hmm. It mm. sure does. It does indeed. It does indeed. So, uh, yeah. I'd like to think that when they were designing it, they thought about it in terms of more about having fun and having uh, the player interaction be more amicable than just it's about winning. Because, I mean, you can kind of tell even by the design of the game, when you look at it, everything's very colorful, everything... The images are not uh, dreary or dark or something like that. It's it's very colorful, cartoony, very cartoony. It's it's a lighthearted game, and so the player interaction, from my opinion, what they might have been going for was trying to have fun with pirates, but you're still going to be forced into a situation where it's about being first, but it's about having ways to entangle the players in situations along the way so if you can get the most treasures okay then now you maybe want to attack somebody or you know you raise the stakes no matter what because if you hit a port you've got no money you might actually be bypassed by some people that view you as no longer a threat or even useful so it it was kind of trying to figure out that there's going to be ups and downs in that interaction so yeah i could see that and for sure like when people bypass you because they no longer see you as a threat. I've seen that turn out as a legitimate strategy that has won people the game because they load up on gold and because they're so far behind, you know, no one can really challenge them. Mm -hmm. Now the catch on the other hand is if you're too far behind, then you can get hit with a lot of negative points for not crossing the red line. Yeah. Um, But you know, if you make enough gold or treasures, you know, you might be able to overcome that. I think that that player experience that they were planning, they really did think about it because, you know, like I said, not all games really think about that style of experience Um, or at least at the very least don't want to go in that route. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of, I feel like what a good segue into uh, one of the next topics. And that is, um, we have non-mechanic play interaction, which are games that are designed to force players to interact not through their own mechanics, but through dialogue. So these are games usually like co-op games where you have to strategize in order to overcome something. Mm-hmm. These are games where these are like negotiation games where it's like, I have this. Do you have that? You know, we can we can make something work. We can make a deal and stuff like that. Um, so some good examples would be Catan, negotiating resources, pandemic, where we have to strategize to kind of try and get rid of all these, you know, disease cubes and stuff like that. The bloody Inn is even uh, a little bit of a negotiation game where, you know, it's like there's four cops out, you know, I need help bar- burying this body. Mm-hmm. By the way, it's going to sound weird out of context if you don't know what the it's bloody end is. It's not. It, it, okay, good. We've covered um, it. They uh, know. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, and then another example would be like Moonrakers, where it's uh, designed to have like a neg- negotiation aspect because usually in order to overcome certain mission cards, you're going to need assistance. And I believe that was by design. So you're going to have to negotiate how to overcome this by, you know, like bidding, you know, whoever bids the highest can come with me and then I'll give you this and stuff like that. So um, those are non-mechanic player interactions. Yeah. Um, I think the one that we might be most familiar with would be Catan or Pandemic maybe. Well, we're we're pretty familiar with all those. I think it, it's interesting because you bring up the, how the player interaction is about the negotiation, and yet still within each of those games, they're they're very different in terms of what the overall goal is. So in Catan, everybody is individual. You're trying to be first again. You're trying to get the most points. Uh, you're trying to reach ten. I think is right. It was ten or fifteen. I believe it was ten. Ten. Whoever hits 10 first, and this is the base level of Catan. Yeah, so. yeah. But in Pandemic, you're on the same team. Everybody's working together to overcome the enemy, which is the Pandemic. The Bloody Inn, again, everybody's individual, but and it's about whoever has the most money at the end. But you really need that interaction, because if you try to go solo, 
there's too many times where you end up with too many bodies. I've never played a time where <laughs> you didn't need somebody's help. That's because some people were a little trigger happy, more trigger happy than others. They might be trigger happy. Might be tr- they might not be trigger happy. It's but, the roll of the dice. Really, but to be which fair, because there's no dice. There's no dice. Which, to be fair, is actually quite interesting because you know you are more trigger happy in that game, whereas I am more conservative. I like to build more houses, but I also end up with fewer bodies because I'm so busy. You know, Mm -hmm. getting them to help me build annexes and things like that to hide the bodies. But I do that so much that I don't actually have enough bodies to put them in, you know, to get those points off to get those points. So it's just like so it actually usually works out. The fact that you usually just go hyper killing everybody. And I'm just like, hey, buddy, I got I got some space over here. You know, give give me give me a little of that cheddar cheese. But see, that's that's a good strategy, you know, Mm -hmm. or well. It might be a strategy that could work for you, depending on, you know, how if you're negotiating with other people to say, I got the spaces here for you to put your bodies. So it's it's just interesting how you can have the player interaction be that it's non mechanic driven for all of these games, but you have different player interactions across all of these games yep they they each do something different they each explore something a little bit different in terms of how a player can feel during these games like you know with Catan, you know it's more like wheeling and dealing you know am i going to get the better deal you know three sheep one wood come on that's a little high yeah it's like yes but you also have 12 sheep and you know that bandit's going to be coming you know it's going to be coming you know so uh especially the way i roll so, you know, it'll do different things uh, depending on the game, but they all can really, you know, just give a different worthwhile experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like with Pandemic, there's no greater feeling than when you come up with a plan and you actually can follow through with it. Because mm-hmm. in, you know, Pandemic, it's very, very easy to come up with a plan and then by the end of the turn, the plan's already gone haywire. Whenever things start to, you know, happen, things start to really, you know, gel together, you know, that could be a really wonderful feeling for people who haven't played, you know, Pandemic and stuff like that. You know, if this is their first like co-op board game, that's why I always recommend Pandemic as like one of the first co-op board games, because if you've never played a co-op board game before, this is like one of the best experiences, in my opinion, because, you know, you're really focusing on you know helping each other and stuff like that and you're like we're not against each other you know it's it's not me versus you versus you versus you it's you know us versus the bloody game yeah and this game is you know you just want to strangle the game we've all been there a couple times um where it's just like you know we're one or two turns away from winning and they're like oh no here's another snowball (laughs) yep the snowball effect where i think what do we get like three outbreaks in one turn? I, I feel like so. we did. I'm pretty sure that's how we. I'm sure everybody's had that at some point. Yeah, and you're just like, uh, why? Why do I even play this game? Yeah. But again, that's a that's a vastly different feeling than in Canton, where you're trying to, you know, or the Bloody Inn, where you're trying to be the one on top. So you're trying to help other players, but at the same time, you're like, I don't want to help you enough to where you beat me. Like I, I want to come out on this deal too. So it's, it's very good for the designers to really think about that kind of interaction, especially in a game where it is non-mechanic driven, um, which I feel like is a lot harder than mechanic driven. Cause I mean, you could put in a mechanic and be like, Oh, you know, I'm forcing these players to interact and stuff like that. But if you design a game, that requires player interaction that you are not forcing, you know, upon them. Like Catan, you could play Catan and never negotiate anything and just roll and roll and roll. And, you know, hopefully you'll get it, you know, but I mean, that would already make like a, like a three hour game, like a 12 hour game, you know, Twilight Imperium got nothing on the Catan, but you know, that's why you, you know, where do you put that, when you're when you're designing the game, you know, mm-hmm. where do you really be like, okay, I'm not going to design any sort of player interaction in terms of mechanics, but they have to interact with each other in order to solve problems. Yeah. If it, it you really have to think about, you know, 
not only how you want the players to interact, but how they might interact that, you know, you're not exactly expecting. You know, there's not much you can do in a game like Coup whenever you're like, well, what if the person just, you know, never lies? Be like, then they'll probably lose. You know, that's just... That's you considering it as a designer. As a designer, I was like, the game is designed to play a certain way. It's player elimination. They are more than welcome to play that way. But chances are they're probably going to lose. Yeah. Whenever you have something that involves having to really get into other players' heads and stuff like that, you know, it can be kind of tricky to design a game that way. Mm -hmm. So that's just something that you'll have to try and remember whenever you're designing games is that, you know, not only do I have to get in the mind of a gamer that I think that's like me, but in a gamer that's also not like me. You know, I wouldn't think to break the game this way, but other players will be like, well, technically it doesn't say that I can't do that. You know, it doesn't say I can't do that either, but you know, technically it doesn't say that I can't do that. So that's one of the things also that kind of helps with, you know, lots of play testing and stuff like that is seeing how all the players interact and seeing their thought processes during this player interaction and if they are going to kind of feel the way that you want them to feel when they're playing this game. Mm-hmm. I feel like for the most part, games like Coup or, you know, games like The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31, for the most part, they play exactly how you want them to play, you know, because that's the fun of the game. You know, the, in Coup, it's fun when you can lie and then get to kill everybody else. You know, it's fun. In The Thing... It's fun when you're the infected and you'd be like, hey, man, that's not me. You know, I'm not I'm not the one that's infected and stuff like that. So you like games where you're lying. Hmm. Interesting. Good to I, know. I don't know what you're talking about. Good to know. Uh, no. I think you also talked about Battlestar one time and how that's a great game. And if you're a Cylon, you're lying again. Yeah. That was a great game. That okay, great. It had nothing to do with the fact that if you're a Cylon or not, it was just a great game in general. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's just something that you really have to keep in mind whenever you're designing games and stuff like that is you're trying to really create that atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny you brought up Battlestar Galactica because it actually is very good with the atmosphere. It really makes you feel, you know, like you're kind of your backs up against a wall. You're trying to talk to all the other players and stuff like that to overcome these missions. But at the same time, you know, it's you like know, the thing, you, you know, know one, one you us. know, one of them is a traitor. And so it's just like, man, the fact that if you can be like so sneaky and stuff like that. Now, the thing about Battlestar, which I think is such a good improvement upon those kind of games, is the fact that you can choose to reveal yourself. And not only does it have a negative effect on the like the Galactica itself, Mm -hmm. but then you get moved to a separate Cylon section. And so you can do different actions as a Cylon. So it's like, cause the, the thing is like, they kill your human, your Cylon body and you go to the resurrection ship. And so then you're resurrected in like the Cylon section. So it's like, you can be on like Caprica. You can be on the resurrection ship. You can be on a Cylon fleet and stuff like that. There is no real benefit to me revealing that I'm a traitor, you know, aside from wanting to make it to the end and be like, boop, I'm a traitor, you know, and then winning the game as the traitor. Mm -hmm. This was the first time I've seen it to where it's like you can flip the card and actively have an impact. And then just by doing that, you also have access to these things that they don't have access to. Because usually that would be the end of it. Once you're revealed, it's kind of like, oh, we killed you. You're dead. Yep. Everybody's happy now. Yep. Everyone will be like, oh, you know, we got him. We got the bad guy and stuff yeah. like that. But see, now you you can choose to reveal, you know, I'm the bad guy, but you can't stop me because then I just go over to Cylon, the Cylon area and I just keep doing whatever I can do. You know, so it's just like that is pretty ingenious. I was like, yeah, that's actually really clever. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think, uh, I think we've gone a little hard on the <laughs> non-mechanic player interaction. Just a little bit. Just a little bit, a little bit. So, well, I guess we'll just try and keep the next one pretty brief. Though. Okay. Um, which is actually probably a good point to not have a whole lot into it is the no player interaction at all or passive player interaction. 
when I say passive player interaction, obviously, you know, like worker placement where something I do doesn't directly affect you, but it might mess up your strategy or something like that. Mm -hmm. Usually worker placement games go here. These can be like city builders, like uh, Foundations of Rome, where I place something and you're like, oh, I wanted to buy that, you know, stuff like. Yeah. And, it doesn't uh, really impact you, though. Yeah. So like, you keep playing. With yeah. No, so you just keep no playing. Stopping. Uh, Ticket to Ride is a good one. Sure. Where it's just like I can get blocked, but it's not like you're actively trying to block me. Cascadia. Cascadia. Okay. Where it's just like I want a token, but you take the token first or something like that. Everdell. So, Everdell could be one, right? Uh, Everdell, yeah. Because you're building your own. You're building your own little tableau and stuff like that. Yeah. Usually anything that has like a little player board in front of you is going to be a, a candidate passive. for a passive player yeah. interaction because you're usually so focused on building your own thing that you're not really focusing on what other players do. I think one of the more recent ones would be something like Ark Nova, where mm -hmm. you're trying to build your own zoo. Uh, Quacks of Quinlanburg, mm -hmm. where you know you have your own potion and stuff like that, but what you do has no effect on any other players and stuff like that. So these are kind of examples of games that player interaction is not even in like in a thought. Yeah, because you're not negotiating for anything. You don't actually have to talk to the other players to accomplish your own goals. It's not a race of any kind. There's no strategy where a person has to kind of figure out what they're going to be doing against the other wizard or quack of Quacklenburg. Quinlanburg. 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 I'm going to say Quinlanburg. Quinlanburg. The Quinlanburg. The QB. The QB. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Quacks of the QB. Quacks of the QB. You know, so it, it's just kind of independent. So I, I can see that. And it's interesting because to me, Everdell, I've always liked it as a game. But in reality, when you play it, you could actually play it in silence. You could just be like, <laughs> take my card. Take my resources. Do my thing. Do my thing. Next. And then your turn. <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah. And, you know, maybe others have fun because they're all like, oh, your city's so pretty or something like that. But you don't have to really say anything. No, you don't. <laughs> so it's, it's, and that's why it really depends on going back to your definition of play interaction, mm -hmm. what you want the players to feel. Yeah. In Everdell, it's not designed to be competitive. Yeah. It's not designed to be like, I need to win to beat you as a race or something like that. You know, that's not the point. Um, this is kind of where a lot of what I like to call chill games hang out. Mm -hmm. And these are games where the point isn't I'm actively trying to do something against you. It's that we're all building stuff. We're all having a good time. Yeah. Uh, I believe Wingspan also falls into this category where it's just like, you know, we have our habitats. We're just placing birds. Yeah. You know, we in Cascadia, we have our section of terrain. We're just populating animals. You know, Ark Nova, we all have our zoos. We're just populating our zoos. So it's interesting that you just listed like all animals. Three out of four of those <laughs> games were like all about animals. That's because it's 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 a very chill concept. Yeah. Um, creature comforts. Creature comforts. Yep. Yeah. So, Another four. So it really, and I think that kind of goes to like, you know, animals are very disarming. You know, they're kind of just soft cute cuddly you don't really want them to it's not going to be like a game like root where it's basically you know risk but with animals have you never heard of root I've never heard of root yeah so root is like an asymmetrical war game with animals with animals and so it's 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 the craziest thing i had it and i sold it i probably should have played it in hindsight but at the same time it's like some games just don't appeal to you. Yeah. But with animals, they're, you know, very disarming. They're very chill and stuff like that. Or like city builder games where it's just like, it's not detrimental if I'm, you know, if you're doing this with your city and I'm doing this with my city, we're both going to build our cities and basically whoever builds it the best wins. So it's like. Even the best is kind of subjective. It's about how you built it the best this time to get you the most points or whatever it is to, to win. Yeah. But again, it's not really like, oh, I built the best city of all time sort of thing. You you know, and this will this will never be beaten. You could repeat the strategy and you still might. You could lose. So it's true. It just depends on, you know, what cards you draw or what dice you roll and stuff yeah. like that. So um, but the point isn't necessarily that, you know, I'm going against you. The point is that we're both building our cities and whoever just so happens to build the best city wins. Yeah. So, you know, it's definitely more of a chill vibe because you're not 
actively pursuing other players, mm-hmm. uh, trying to you know thwart them or anything like that. You know, it's not that kind of a game. So, and I think you know it really just depends on what you're trying to accomplish with your game design. You know, because you know going back to it, how did Everdell make you feel? You know, when you played it. I mean, it was like you said, a very chill game. It's it's nice to, to see all the animals and build your your small towns. Uh, it took a couple of times for I think me to realize uh, what's the best way to grab certain cards to build stuff. But again, it's more of a strategy game against yourself and trying to figure out how you can make the best item as opposed to trying to compete against somebody else. So to me, I think the player interaction is very low. And in terms of even talking to the other player, you don't need it. And then also what it makes you feel is chill. So your player interaction overall is chill. You know, you're not stressed. You're in none of these games. Have we ever been stressed except for ticket to ride? But that's for other reasons. (laughs) Um, You know, it's more about just like you said, you know, playing the game. Yeah, the the whole point of the game is that you're not really going against players. You're just kind of experiencing what the game has to offer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I could see why that might be like a a pro in terms of what you're kind of going for. You just have to be sure that that's what you're going for. Me personally, I'm not a huge fan of that style of game because I feel like well, basically, we're doing four, you know, different solo games, you know, what's mm-hmm. the point? But I mean, look at me. I like Everdell. You know, I like the the tree and the artwork. You know, it's just relaxing. Yeah. Tatiana really enjoys Wingspan uh, for a variety of reasons. One is the beautiful art. Uh, she gets to learn about birds as she's putting together her her thing. I think also because it's not really competitive. I think she likes the fact that everybody everybody's moving at the same pace and they're all moving towards an objective to see who will win. Yes. But it's not that it's not the competition. It's not the race. It's not the destroy the other opponent sort of thing. And so I think that's why she really enjoys the, the passive type of player interaction games. Yeah. And games like castles of Burgundy where it's just like, you're just building your own little city right in front of you. Yeah. You don't really have that much player interaction and stuff like that. But again, I like that game. So, you know, there's obviously, you know, merit to that style. You just have to be sure that that's the style that you're wanting. Yeah. Like, you know, if we were to do something like Monster Mash Grand Prix, but in that style probably wouldn't work very well because the whole point is that I want players to interact. That's why when they're on the racetrack, you can buy trick cars to take them out. You know, that's the whole point is that you're trying to interact with other players, at least they're racers in that particular game you know it's not necessary in a game like wingspan or in a game like castles of burgundy it's it's not the point so you just have to whenever you're designing games be sure that this is the point that you want to get across because the way players feel while they're playing the game really matters it really helps to kind of give your game that extra little oomph where it will make it a memorable game. I mean, I know I'm asking you to dig back in the way, way, way past times. In the machine. In the, in machine, the time machine. In the time yeah. machine. You know, um, do you remember the first time you played Pandemic? <laughs> you really, <laughs> I told you. You really I went back. I told you I went back, man. Uh, because I, that t- I do remember the first time I played Pandemic. Do you really? I do. Wow. Because it was quite an experience. I remember the first time I played a co-op game. Yeah. And it was Zombie Side. And so I played it back in Houston. That was the first one you played? First real co-op game, yes. So I was just like I was like, man, this is actually pretty legit cuz we're, you know, not going against each other, you know, every time every game I've ever played, you went up against each other. Yeah. First game I got introduced with was Munchkin. So I got wrecked then that one I'll, that's a story for another time. But like for the first co-op game, it was Zombicide. And for the first team co-op game, it was Pandemic. And I really remember, you know, that struggle that we had the first time mm-hmm. where we were just like trying to, you know, 
get these cubes under control and stuff like that. And we were coming up with this strategy and it was working. But then, you know, we flipped over a card and it was like an epidemic card. And we were just like, oh my God, again, seriously? I mean, we got so addicted to that that we actually played like Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Yeah. And so, I mean, like we must have played that game like... 15 times before we played legacy season one. And that was before I even started tracking the app, like tracking stuff on the app. Yeah. I just started whenever we did pandemic legacy. So it's like, we I have all the pandemic legacy stuff, but I don't have any of the pandemic before that. So it's like, I couldn't tell you how many times we played, but I know we played quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I had to remember a game where it was kind of figuring something like that, it was betrayal at, House on the Hill? House on the Hill and the Legacy version. And to me, that's the first time I remember that's that one was really about, oh, you created characters and you're all suffering together sort of thing and following the story there. I, I really remember that one. The first time we played Pandemic, I can't remember. Probably because we played that season one and that was that's it, all that really kind of took over. I only remember that. That I do agree with you. Betrayal Legacy is by far, in my opinion, the best legacy game I've ever played. Mm -hmm. It gave you a vibe, man. Like that, like they thought player interaction and they delivered. Yeah. I don't like, I want to go 100% into all the things that we did, but I won't. Because <laughs> that's another podcast. That's, that's another podcast. But at the same time, I don't want to spoil people in case they have not played because. I would hope they've played by now. Well, I mean, you have to think. There's like new board gamers like all the time. Wow. So it's like you can't, when it comes to a legacy game, I usually am pretty good about not spoiling anything. Mm. Even when taking pictures, I usually try and take out of context pictures. If I did have one recommendation for a legacy game, it would be Betrayal because that just killed it when it comes to player interaction and vibe. I would agree with that. I would say if there was going to be one that you should play, it would definitely be that one. Yeah. Pandemic Legacy Season 1 is a close second or third, but... Um, I've heard that Season 0 tops Season 1, and uh, everyone says Season 2 is meh. Meh. Yeah, that's probably why we haven't played it. Probably. Plus, we have a lot of other games that we're playing. We do have a lot of other games. I hate to say it, but it kind of got pushed off. <laughs> kind of got pushed off the side. So... Um, so with that being said, you know, can you have, you know, player interaction, whether it be, you know, the the vibe check that you're going for, or can it be a mechanic, you know, enforced player interaction? You know, that's just some things that you have to try and remember whenever you are designing your game, because these things are important. It's it's almost as important. And I think it's interesting because I don't I don't know where most designers place it, but it almost seems like the player interaction, both driven by or not driven by a mechanic, I'll say the technical aspect of it, is up there just also with the same emotional level. I know a person when they when a designer goes and says, I want to make a pirate game, very broad topic. Then you go and say, How do I want my players to interact with each other that's almost like the second or third question you're going to ask yourself i probably the second question is actually is there going to be dice in this game <laughs> or is it going to be you know just worker placement sort of thing but uh, that's a joke but uh you know yes that that is the second one <laughs> that is i want a pirate game will there be dice will there be dice <laughs> or won't there be dice will, will there be dice? seems like there should be dice but there's always dice yeah so i i think it, it's it's a lot more critical than people tend to to think it is. And so my hope is that after listening to this podcast or maybe, you know, just thinking about it in general, people will start to consider it a little bit more of a higher priority than maybe the graphic design or maybe the way that if they can fit another mechanic in there. You know, it's more about trying to provide that sense of emotional, an emotional ride in the game. I think that would be more better suited for designers to look at than trying to just figure out the next mechanic. You could probably make a, make a very basic game, but have a really good emotional attachment to it. I, I think that's what really makes games stand out more in players' minds. Um, so 
I feel like if you are going to go that route that you really need to be sure of what route you want to go down because, you know, like we said, you can, like you said, you can make a, a game with like the basic mechanics, but if it's like got such a good, you know, player interaction, people will remember it. I mean, look at Betrayal Legacy. It is stuck in our mind by how good they were able to get us to, you know, interact with that game. And, you know, when did that come out? That came out like a while ago. I think it came out like 2009, 2010, if I had to guess. I mean, we played that at least four or five years ago. Yeah, and I can tell you that it wasn't like... That brand, wasn't new. It then. wasn't brand spanking new when we played it. Yeah. So, um, so I feel like uh, you can have a game that has, you know, basic mechanics and stuff like that but such good interaction that it really elevates it. Um, or you could have a game where it's just like, it, it really just depends on what you're going for, for your game. Yeah. I think ultimately it was what it boils down to. And so this is another reason why you really want to have such a good grip on the game that you want to design, that yeah. you want to play. Because it's like, I can be passionate all I want about, you know, potted plants you know i could just have like all the potted plants i i want in the world i want to make a game about potted plants but and then i can design it and i can have the most amazing mechanics and stuff like that but if i don't have like that player interaction you know it, it might just not ring the same mm -hmm. um you know some person might be like i mean it worked. It was a game. I played it. I didn't see any problems with it. Yeah. So, and then all of a sudden gone completely out of their mind, you know, they're like, okay, check, check Mark, you know, got it. We talked about it earlier. Just checking the, checking the box. Mm -hmm. Um, so you really do need to just kind of have it, it. This will, this will help you get a grip on what you really, really want for your game. You want your game to be like Betrayal Legacy, where even after we got rid of Betrayal Legacy, we still remember it. Yeah. It definitely leaves uh, a lasting impression in your mind in terms of how much you enjoyed that game. I mean, we, we still have games now that we have where it's more about that interaction. And for me, it's more about the player interaction in terms of the emotional state versus the technical state. But we still play those games because we have such a good time. Granted, some of those are because they play five players or more. But non-party game-wise, you know, the higher the player count, we play these games because we have fun and because they produce a good interaction among uh, among our, our playing group. So to me, that that is a successful game, even though some people might, you know, push it down and say, well, it's not adventurous enough or it's not strategic enough or whatever else they want to say about it. You know, to me, these play better for us because they might have a better player interaction. So, yeah. And that's something else that you have to remember is that, you know, you're not going to make a game that everybody's going to love. You know, there is that board game bulge where it's not going to cover everybody. Why are you shaking your head? <laughs> That's true. It's not. You can't make everybody happy. Can it make so everybody happy? You make the game that you want to see. Yes, because chances are you are the custodian of the subject that you want to. You want other players to experience. Mm -hmm. So you have to really hook them in with whatever it is that you want them to play. Yeah. So you really have to be sure to. Think about this kind of stuff in order to really elevate your game to the next level. Yeah. Well, I think that that about does it for us. I believe so. Perfect. Well, we appreciate everybody that took the opportunity to go ahead and listen to this episode. You we know. appreciate you. So uh, if you guys want to go ahead and give our podcast a listen, go ahead and head on over to Apple, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, not iTunes. You can go ahead and check out our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, the app. That is a fantastic idea. That is a fantastic idea. 
or you can head over to our website at brainwave.games and you can see the games that we've designed. You can actually also find the podcast that we've made. There's a page for that. They are centralized there, yes. They are centralized. So I think there's multiple ways that you can reach out to us as well through social media, Instagram, Facebook. Don't we put our podcast link on the Instagram and Facebook too? Uh, yeah. I believe we do. Yeah. If you go to the campsite bio, you can click through there. Um if you go to Apple Podcasts, you can see a list of these links as well. You know, check that out for that type of information. We also mention it in the newsletter too, don't we? We do. We have a newsletter that kind of shows you what's coming up for us. Nice. I know. <laughs> that was a dramatic pause. That was that dramatic pause. I was like, ooh, ooh. I'm instantly, you know, that goes back to that player interaction. Exactly. Ooh, I'm tantalized. Exactly. You hook them. You hook them in. You get the, you get your hooks in. That's right. Exactly. And don't let go. <laughs> Never let go, Jack. Careful. I've had restraining orders like that. <sighs> I was referencing Titanic. But oh, well, like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Me too. If you got. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Don't forget to actually check out uh, our information on Kickstarter. We're going to be releasing a Monster Mash Grand Prix on Kickstarter, April 25th. So make sure you guys keep your eyes open for that. If you want to sign up for notifications, check out our newsletter, or you can head on over to Kickstarter and look us up there and under Monster Mash Grand Prix. Or you can check out our campsite bio on one of our social media Accounts. I was like, what's the right word? One of our social media accounts. And then you can go through the campsite bio and you can find the link there. So multiple ways to go ahead and check out all that cool information on Monster Mash Grand Prix. We're so connected. Yes. So connected. So many ways to find out information about us. And actually we'll have a, a special episode in the coming weeks on the Monster Mash Grand Prix where we'll kind of give a, a little bit of a, I'll say a sneak peek on on the game itself yeah we're definitely going to go more in depth uh with monster mash grand prix uh on a particular podcast um really going over uh the mechanics of vibes actually we'll go over a lot of the things that we've covered in the podcast and you can see how we've incorporated them into our game yeah so keep your ears open for that as uh, as it uh, approaches so without further ado I'm host Chris. I'm host Johnny. Happy gaming. Until we meet again. That sounded ominous. Going for that ominous vibe. That's the vibe I was going for. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs>